91 FM, and it's time for politics time. Uh, John Maud, Phil Ferguson, and guest Scout Harbour Evans. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we? Are we good this morning on a crisp, beautiful day in Altipote? Very good, very good. I was trying to find a Pepsi before. Uh, uh, really? Pepsi, like Coca Cola, dominates. Oh, no, no. You, you get Coca Cola machines, um, Pepsi actually dominates the stores. They've got, oh, yeah, I see. them and Fruitcore got the exclusive rights to the stores, but pe- uh, Coca Cola can put in the machines. Interesting. Yes, yes. You pay you pay enough money. The politics of Coke and Pepsi. That's right. Well, I mean, and the, you know, you, that's why Coke gets the uh, the best part of the supermarket shelves as well, right there in the middle and everything, because mm. they pay the most money. Um, so there is, you know, it's capitalism at its finest. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna kick it off with free speech this morning. Uh, Auckland historian Paul Moon uh, has written an open letter cl- um, to the government claiming free speech is under threat. Uh, in New Zealand universities uh, was signed by uh, 27 high-profile Kiwis. Some controversial Kiwis were in that list. Uh, is he right? Uh, ha- um, or has the has free speech and what is interpreted as free speech narrowed uh, in an increasingly politically correct world? Mm. Yeah, so um, Paul Moon is saying that there are, there are real restrictions on free speech at universities. So he said in the Australia, the United States, the UK, there's some, there are severe restrictions on the freedom of speech at universities. I think he's 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 referencing cases in, in especially Britain and America where student unions have often um, in the guise of safe spaces, uh, uh, in the guise of, of trying to stop people being offensive to say minority groups or subjugated groups have put restrictions on what can be said, what music can be played on campus, uh, put um, bans on certain speakers. So we've got, for example, Milo Yiannopoulos, mm-hmm. who's accused of being a, a, an alt-right troll. Um, he, he has been... Uh, uh, stopped from speaking on certain campuses and there's been quite militant protests against them, for example. And in Britain there's been, um, actually a number of feminists have been blocked from coming on campuses, such as um, uh, Jermaine Greer, uh, on the basis that she's transphobic. So there, there certainly is an environment in Western campuses in Britain and in America where arguably there's an environment, a censorious environment. But in New Zealand I don't think um, it's it's so prominent. The case that did come up, there was a group that was accused of possibly being a fascist group in Auckland, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, it said it was a, a, a society celebrating European culture, uh, and there was a huge debate whether that group should be allowed uh, on campus uh, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to be um, affiliated to the student union, and eventually um, the group decided to not be active on campus. Um, and I, I think it was unclear whether it was actually a fascist group or not. Um, what, um, not many details actually came out about the group in the end uh, but Paul Moon's argument is that if this trend continues if any group sort of crops up on campus that, that either liberals or conservatives don't like and there's a lot of pressure put on um, groups that say uh, controversial things then an environment starts to foster where uh, dissident views and radical views are squashed 
on university campuses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, isn't the whole point of a university about f- free thinking and and putting your views out there? Uh, debate, creating mm-hmm. debate, whether um, one group likes what you're saying or not. Um, you know, you you've always got the right of rebuttal mm-hmm. on, on on campus, and you mm-hmm. should uh, safely be able to do that. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, uh, from the sixties onwards, it was it was the left that uh, uh, argued for that position, that there should be radical free speech on campuses, mm-hmm. there should be a range of views, uh, that there shouldn't be any suppression of ideas. Yet now it's actually um, the left, especially in Britain and America, that are actually calling for uh, uh, no platform bans on certain speakers, on, um, and we've seen violent protests such as with Milo Yiannopoulos mm-hmm. uh, saying that he shouldn't be allowed to speak on campus, with Jermaine Greer in Britain again. And so the question is do people have the right to offend others and do people have the right not to be offended and if we take that people should have the right not to be offended then I would argue it allows for other rules and regulations which do suppress free speech so so the question comes down to should people be able to say things that could be perceived as say racist or or sexist or offensive to minorities Islamophobic and it it, I guess people want to protect the sensibilities of especially subjugated groups, uh, but the, the, the consequences, I think, are very dangerous, that you have suddenly have a whole rollout of rules and regulations which squash debate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what is racist, what is sexist, is also always up for debate. So if I say, for example... Um, uh, Be careful. Uh, <laughs> okay, be careful. Let's say there's a debate saying uh, Islam is a religion of peace. Yeah. Uh, and someone says, okay, um, I think Islam is a religion of contradictions. There's certain passages in the Quran and the Hadith that point to peaceful coexistence between different religions mm, and the place yes. of Christians and Jews. But yes. there's also clearly passages in the Hadith and the Quran that call for, for violence and uh, violent retaliation, just as there is in the Bible, uh, just as there is in the Torah. Now, am I being Islamophobic and making that statement challenging the idea that Islam is purely a religion of peace? Now, it's up for debate, but if you have rules saying, and recently in Australia, uh, an MP, and and I think in the Senate, said there should be rules against, laws against making Islamophobic statements, uh, laws against um, making negative statements against Islam, and I think that leads to a censorious uh, uh, ramifications where people, even within those religious communities, can't debate out ideas. So mm-hmm. that within Islam, within Christianity, there's a range of views, and if you say, no, this is the one view on this religion, if you question it, then you're being... Uh, then that's an attack on that religion, the people who belong to that religion. So I think it's, yeah, it's dangerous, but I can understand the liberal or the left view that we want to protect minorities and subjugated people, and there are questions of power relations, but at the same time, it can actually lead to ramifications on all of us, that we Mm -hmm. suddenly are squashed in what we can say. 
Or is the right to be offended trumping the right to say whatever you want to say? That's the argument. Yes. Um, Can I just say, it's not even just being offended. We have to remember that in a lot of cases, hate speech is actually an act of violence and it does lead to acts of violence. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the stuff that people are saying when they're beating you up on the street for being gay and things like that. So we do have to remember that it... Language is capable of being just as violent as physical violence is. Mm-hmm. And so in, say, the case that you know we're, we've all been talking about in New Zealand at the moment, the case with the um, European, European Students Association or whatever it was in Auckland, can't remember the total name of it now, that um, they were using neo-Nazi imagery, they were using neo-Nazi mm-hmm. statements. They also haven't gone away, they took down their Facebook page for about a week before they popped straight back up again with fancier editing. So um, it's not like this right to free speech is being squashed. And we have to remember that the right to free free speech doesn't um, mean that you're suddenly immune from the social consequences of what you say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is is the right to be a free speech? Like I can understand, um, you know, hate speech on the uh, on the streets being squashed and, and total laws coming up against that. But when it's in a lecture theatre, or when it's within debate, um, I think it becomes a totally different thing to yeah, just your. But this isn't. We're not talking about a situation in a lecture theatre. We're talking about a situation with an organisation that was trying to be affiliated with a students' association. Yeah. So that is in the community, that is in public. That's true. That's and, true. I mean, our lecture theatres and our universities are supposed to be these places where we're able to learn about critical thinking and learn how to debate in a constructive way and to have arguments that aren't hurting other people but are also constructive arguments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's why we're fighting so hard to make sure things like the humanities department stick around. Exactly. Had to slip it in. Yeah. (laughs) Good, I want you to. Um, Phil Ferguson. Um, Well, I'm a big fan of Rosa Luxemburg and one of the points that she made about free speech was you're not really supporting free speech if you just support the right of people to say things that you agree with. You know, supporting mm-hmm. free speech means defending the rights of people who say things that you disagree with, including things that you disagree with strongly. Mm. I mean, every time I turn on the t- TV, there are politicians saying things which I find offensive. But, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. And I think the problems with legislation and rules and regulations about hate speech are you know there's several reasons for opposing it one is that in terms of violence there's quite enough laws to you know for people to be charged with without introducing hate speech the second one is that once you start restricting freedom of speech you're handing over a lot of power to the state and I, I'm old enough to remember back in the 70s when there was legislation brought in to um, make incitement of um, racial discord illegal. And the first person charged under that wasn't a white racist, it was a Maori activist, Hannah Jackson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're creating a very dangerous situation and having those laws which the state can use whatever way it wants to. And the other thing about it is, you know, people who are discriminated against and oppressed, they're not kind of weak and helpless. They're discriminated against and oppressed. 
they, I don't think they need particular legislation that stops people from saying things that they don't like. You know, they're quite capable of organising and fighting for their rights. And I think it's kind of... It's kind of patronising towards people who are oppressed and, dis- and you know, denied equal rights to say, well, we need to protect them from... They're so weak and pathetic, we need to pr- protect them, to have special laws that protect them. I don't think we do. I think what, I think what we need is to have organisations that fight for people's rights and create a climate in which... You know, bigots simply can't exist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that we do that, not demand that the state or the university authorities do that. I think that's a really dangerous road to go down. Yeah. Well, where do you draw the line between um, free speech and and hate speech, and what is free speech and what is hate speech? Is is hate speech a sermon at a church? that is anti, uh, you know, which is homophobic and, mm-hmm. and anti-LGBTQTI, uh, uh, you know, and, um, or is it, um, you know, myself being against settlements in, in the West Bank, mm. you know, is it anti-Semitic? And I think, I think not all, I mean, no right is absolute, so I think Scout is right in saying that there are cases where there's a link between what people say and violence. So if, if a, say, a neo-Nazi group actually uh, calls for, comes to campus and actually calls for violent activities mm-hmm. against, uh, say, uh, people of colour, for example, or LGBTI people, uh, if there's a clear link to be made between what they're saying and organised violence, I think that can be a situation where people, where that no platforming uh, line is relevant. And that no platforming position actually came from the far left in the 70s when mm. you had uh, groups like the National Front, a neo-Nazi group in Britain, that were actively organising and using violence against ethnic minorities, especially people of uh, a Pakistani and South Indian descent. So there was a link between... Uh, groups like the National Front actually standing, holding rallies in communities, uh, which weren't directly violent, but promoting the use of violence against yeah. certain ethnic minorities. But I, I think that the criteria for no platforming should, we should be very reluctant to ever call for that. And I think that idea of no platforming, especially in Britain, has been extended out to saying that anyone who says anything offensive should actually be no platformed and there's this there's this i guess there's this interesting um tension between second wave feminists people of like jermaine greer and uh intersectionality um activists um so-called third wave or fourth wave feminists that that there's this tension about ideas over sexuality and gender and identity and because people like jermaine greer are seen saying things that are offensive, and I would argue they are. I think some of the things she said about transgender people are offensive, um, but I would disagree with her being no platformed on that basis. Um, she's been treated in the same way that the National Front were treated in the 70s, and I, I, I don't think that's fair, and I think it's dangerous. Um, what, what I would advocate is that um, people go to meetings where someone like Jermaine Greer or anyone is saying a, a perceived offensive things and actually argue it out with them. Mm-hmm. Show that you're offended, show that you disagree with them and say say why. Have a debate, have a rigorous debate, a yeah. rigorous argument. Well, should that be the thing when controversial characters like that come onto campuses where they are going to give a lecture, there is also an organised debate for the time that they're here so other people can have their opinions uh, exactly. heard as well. If, if 
you know, and, and that is a prerequisite for coming on to campus. Mm, mm. And so, um, yeah, uh, and, and, and if there's not an allowance for debates within that within that lecture or, or within that platform that people are speaking. Yes, very well. It, it can be a positive thing to hold a protest and indicate uh, your opposition to what people are saying, but to actually try and ban a whole lot of people. And I guess the most, yeah, like I said before, the most one of the most controversial figures in America is Milo Yiannopoulos, mm. uh, who does say offensive things, does say outrageous things, does target especially uh, Muslim minorities and refugees. And, and, and paints them in a very negative way, but even with him, I would argue that he should have the right to yeah. uh, to speak on campus. People should have the right to protest against him, but to actually use violence to physically stop him speaking, I think, is, is dangerous and counterproductive. And once you give the rules to a university, once you say that a university should start no platforming people, and that, that even the state should be involved in that process, like Phil said, you're empowering the state, you're empowering university authorities to determine what is what is healthy speech, what is hate speech, and do we really want to give that power to, say, the university council here, oh, no. or to the oh. state? <laughs> uh, and I, I think well. people, <laughs> some of the radical left and the, the sort of the new forms of anarchism that are rising up, they don't. There's an irony here because often those people are very anti-state, mm-hmm. but they're calling for an empowering of of uh, authoritarian hierarchical authorities. So there's a contradiction there. All right, well, we better move on to the Pepsi protest then. Oh no, no, Phil, oh, you yeah. got something to say? Um, yeah, I was going to say two things. One, I've, I've just forgotten, but, but I think your <laughs> I think your point about the Palestinians is really interesting because, of course, as Israel becomes and its activities against the Palestinians become less and less palatable to public opinion in the West, the Zionists are on the offensive that people who support the Palestinian cause are anti-Semitic mm. and engaged in hate speech. And they're very actively campaigning to have, you know, Palestinian solidarity groups and supporters of the Palestinian cause banned from campuses. And it's it has actually happened as well. So, you know, once you get into this kind of let's ban this hate speech thing, you're getting onto this very dodgy ground of it being able to be used against our side you know, the side that actually stands for equality and, and liberation yeah. and progress and so on, um, by, you know, people who support the oppression of the Palestinians and mm-hmm. so on. And like John said before, I mean, back in the 60s and in the early 70s, it was the left that was actually campaigning for free speech. And it's been quite a retrograde step, in, in, in my view, that... The left is now, although there's plenty of people on the left who don't support these kinds of restrictions, but especially the liberal left has now associated the whole left with restrictions, bans, um, and shutting down debate. And it just allows right-wing people, like, you know, one of the signatories is Don Brash. Well, you know, like, Don Brash... (laughs) is not really a champion of people's freedom you know but it allows him to him, it allows it allows him to pose in this kind of way oh i yeah. remember the other thing very briefly at the end of the day it's actually the mainstream political parties who have real power mm-hmm. like that group on on Auckland campus it doesn't really have much power to do anything you know like i've got friends who are uh, migrants from the Middle East and their family is forced to live apart and they're being put through absolute hell by the immigration department uh-huh. well if you just focus on these kind of extreme right groups 
It's actually the mainstream establishment that is doing far, far worse things that are, you know, messing up people's lives, keeping families apart. You know, it's them that, that put the laws in place, the politicians in Parliament, but nobody's suggesting that Bill, Eng- Bill English or Andrew Little should be no-platformed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I've heard um, lots of people <laughs> suggesting that we no-platform <laughs> Bill English and his, his predecessors. So. Certainly no cooking for uh, Bill, um, that's for sure. Uh, right, uh, Pepsi protest ad. Um, uh, the new Pepsi ad has been pulled from air now. Um, you know, we're seeing um, Kendall Jenner, a, uh, <coughs> a rich Caucasian um, woman... Um, at a protest full of minorities and young people handing a Pepsi to a police officer. Um, a la Alicia Evans at the Black Lives Protest Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter protest, um, Tank Man at Tiananmen Square in 89. Um, I mean, it, it's a joke. How, I mean, for one, getting her to represent uh, <laughs> minorities and people struggling is is a joke, and two, uh, using um, that platform to sell a capitalist product mm. is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's it actually to me as soon as I saw the ad, it looks so similar to watching you know A and Z who are you know putting their ATMs in to try and get more people to join their bank because they're queer friendly mm. you know it, it reeks of pink washing it it's in you know a totally different sense but using a activist movement and using a movement for human rights and for people to be able to just live their lives as a way to sell a product is disgusting yeah yeah i mean are they trying to you know, I remember Coca-Cola did it in the 70s, in a way, if you know mm. that. Remember that big ad where... Flower power. Flower power. And embracement of flower power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, diversity. And, uh, and, and that's gone on to be very iconic. Mm. Um, but I think this one hasn't been done in the same way. I think this was done in a very clumsy way. Mm. So I think uh, Pepsi are trying to tap into the zeitgeist at the moment. That's sort of anti-establishment, uh, new radical social movement zeitgeist. And they did this very clumsily. And I don't think they expected the backlash. Uh, certainly uh, one of the most prominent protest movements in America, social movements in America, is the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. which is protesting against uh, police harassment and uh, police um, killings of... Uh, uh, of black people and uh, so uh, Kendall Jenner handing a, a Pepsi can to a policeman and then everything's going to be alright this yeah. is immediately shown as being highly offensive to, to people who are protesting against police brutality so I think the yeah, Pepsi the ad they produced was very clumsy and if they had done if they had done it in a more nuanced way possibly we wouldn't have seen the backlash we're getting now on the positive side I, I think this reflects that they're the fact that a uh, capitalist corporation like Pepsi is wanting to use that imagery of new social movements and of a sort of anti-establishment protest shows that, that we're in a new period of, of, of a rise of radicalism and um, there are valid criticisms to make of, say, um, you know, uh, capitalist corporations and banks that appropriate uh, the imagery and the causes of social movements, such as like ANZ with the LGBTI movement, 
However, um, if it if it start, if it leads to a debate, if it leads to more uh, public thinking about these issues, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in a strange way, and I'm no fan of Pepsi, but in a strange way, the fact that this ad came up and it's led to a whole lot of debate and about the appropriation of of images and uh, about what are the nature of these new radical protests that are happening, then I would say that's a that's a good thing. Well, I, I guess it shows the way the, sh- the youth is shifting, yes. and, and it shows their politics, and they are, of course, the youth is what everybody's after, they're after mm. their, their money, so mm. they say, if this is what the youth is about, then mm. we're going to try to sell what they want. Uh, exactly. You know, but, but still, um, you know, using a, a 1% percenter to look like a 99%, yes. you know, yes. it, it's, it's, it's a joke, and they, they've done it in, in a very poor way, and it does, um, it stinks of pinkwashing. And um, you know it's good to pull the ad, but um, you know I think the damage is done. Mm. You got any views on this, Phil? Yeah, and I mean Kendall Jenner—I don't know whether she's one percent. I guess she's sort of close to it, anyway. But the Kardashians, come on, complete airheads, <laughs> complete, complete, <laughs> complete airheads. The men, the, uh, the women, the transgender Jenner Kardashians—they're all airheads. And you do watch the show, don't you, Phil? I have, <laughs> yes, yes, I have, I have, I have, I, have, I, have, I, have, I don't, no, I'm not a regular watcher. I have watched it because I like to keep abreast of current cultural trends. Um, yeah, so it's, it's painful, it's very, it's extremely painful to watch. But, I feel so sorry for you right yeah, now. Yeah, but you know, here's a series of protests that are about important things, you know, like, um, black, um, well largely young black men um, or some not so young, you know, being shot as a kind of almost first option um, by the cops and here's one of the kind of the rich airhead families of the United States, you know appearing in this ad I mean it it is you know, just well it's not unbelievable but it's certainly incredibly insulting and belittles the seriousness of things like black lives matter Mm -hmm. but it's also an indication you know capitalism can commodify anything yeah it can turn anything into a commodity and we've seen you know um the marketing of this uh kgb um you know products that are called kgb uh, (laughs) and all kinds of yeah yeah all all kinds of things um you know and yeah, and you know, hammers and sickles being used to sell capitalist products and all the rest of it. So it's a kind of logical, you know, it's part of the sort of whole degradation of human existence that big companies will will turn anything into a profit or try to. And mm-hmm. In this case, they've obviously fallen flat. Um, just quickly, Scout, is it trivialising struggle and protest? It really is. Um, you know, having someone who. What what really strikes me about the ad itself is where Kendall Jenner removed her white wig to show her black hair. <laughs> and it, I just looked at it and yeah. it was horrible. Like, it's, it's as if she's trying to say that she's experienced these struggles too. But no, she doesn't have to face the threat of going out every single day not knowing if you're going to come home alive. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people of colour in the US are feeling every single day and are experiencing every single day. And that kind of emotional stress and emotional toll on people 
that's not something trivial. That's not something that a can of Pepsi is going to fix. No, no. I really wish it would, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's not that simple. It's not. It's not. Um, or Although, if we're going to reform the police system and the um, mental health system in Aotearoa, maybe we could just consider getting the DHBs to hand out cans of Pepsi. Maybe that'll work. Yeah, the Dental Association <laughs> wouldn't be too happy about it, I can tell you that Pepsi much. Pepsi yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, yeah, Pepsi Max. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much for coming in this morning. It's been a pleasure having you all in here. And, um, yes, we'll see you again next week. Right. Uh, news is up next. Here's...